And I'm glad you're here today, whether you are new here or you're back or whether you've consistently been here. Um, today we're going to begin our starting points series. Now, maybe you've heard how um, legendary coach uh, Vince Lombardi used to begin every training camp that he had with his team. Realize this is a team, a training room full of professional football players. Okay, some of them have been in the league for a long time. They're veterans. Some of them are rookies. Okay, but all of them have reached the pinnacle of their sport. And you might think, what would he start with, with this group of professional athletes that are the best at what they do? Okay, and every year he would start with a simple statement. He would say, gentlemen, this is a football. Okay, now, this is a youth football because my hand probably can't grip the big boy football. But this is one my kids left around, so I had it there. And so he would take this and he'd say, this is a football. And this is how you carry a football. And this is how you block. And this is how you tackle. And when he was done with that, then he would take a playbook and he'd say, okay, now open your playbook to page one. Again, talking to guys who probably memorized that playbook years before that they used over and over again. And it's said that the reason that the Packers were such a, a good championship football team is because they were so good at the fundamentals just the basic foundational things of why we do what we do. Okay? Now, as a church, our purpose is to grow people, like to make disciples in this world. Okay? And the fundamental class that we will use to begin that process with people that God gives us to steward or to take care of or to grow is our starting points class. And so beginning next year, that's going to be a four-week class that's just going to be required, required for those who want to become members of our church. So um, some of you have been through a different version of that class, and if you've been to multiple churches, maybe you've been through multiple versions of that. But beginning today, for the next seven weeks, Drew and I are going to teach that class here on Sunday mornings. And I just kind of set a uh, a basis for here's why we think that's important. So you think out of 51 weeks on a calendar year, something that would be important enough to take seven of those is pretty significant. So here's why we're doing that. One, uh, we want to remind everyone of the teachings in the scriptures or in the Bible with regard to the church, okay? Um, we don't have to, nor will we as individual Christians always agree on the minutia of different doctrines in the church, and that's okay. But there are some key, some key areas, some areas in which God says this is really important, and I want to be really clear about this, that we want to say these things are really important, and we really want to be clear about these things because that's what God does. And so um, we just think it's important on a foundational basis. Second thing is we want, we want to encourage you to choose to become a member of Troy Christian Church. I would just say that up front. I mean, Drew's going to address this topic in particular, but we believe like there's great value in us committing our lives to being part of a group of people to do life together, to live out the things that we find in the New Testament with regard to the Christians and the church. And so um, in the future, people will go through this class um, on their way in, or when they decide that's the step they want to take. But for you, we're just going to bring this series of messages to you, and at the end, we're going to ask you, would you, do you feel led by God? 
to become a member of this church. Now, to become a member of this church, like sometime in your past or during this series, like it's not just being a part of the church, right? You have to have embraced Jesus in the life that he calls you to. You have to embrace his death and his resurrection and been baptized and be living a life, though imperfectly, that's committed to what we find in the scriptures. But having done that, we think um, it's important that we connect ourselves with a group of people, so we'll talk about that. Now, the third reason we do is just, um, believe it or not, to, to protect the people in the church. Right? So we teach these things about Scripture. We ask our members to agree to these things that are in the Scriptures because they're in the Scriptures, not because we say so, but because the Bible says so, with the idea that there are certain things in the church that you can only do if you are a member. Okay? We don't want any aha moments down the road where we discover that your middle schooler is being taught by someone who doesn't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay? We don't want leaders in our church who are not committed to living, though imperfectly, living holy lives, right? Because that's the standard that God sets. And so by using this class as a way to um, determine who it is that wants to live under the authority of the scriptures and as a part of the church, it helps protect the church. And then the fourth thing, we just found that when we open up the scriptures consistently, we find that it leads people to make a commitment to God. Okay? When we know what God wants us to do, then we have to do something about it. Okay? Make a choice, even if it's to ignore it. If we don't know, then we don't know what God wants us to do. So by opening up the scriptures over the next seven weeks um, in this particular way, we just have found that that's one of the things that leads people to think about, what does God want from my life? What pieces are missing? What's next in my growth? What's God calling me to in my purpose? All of those kinds of things. So we begin this series today really foundationally, not with this is a football, okay, but spiritually with the most foundational piece, like this is a Bible, okay? Now you know if you're around that typically I don't have that up here with me, okay? It works real good when I'm about this far away in my office or in my house, but you put the lighting in here and this far away, and most of you know that I just, I type my notes into my, um, or the scriptures into my notes because I just don't read the scriptures very good up here. It's something about 54-year-old eyes. That's just the way it works these days, but we're not going to talk a lot about that. We'll just call that a reality, okay? But what we do believe, like, is this Bible is foundational to everything we're going to talk about in this series, okay? If we disagree on something, okay, then the authority that is higher than you and that is higher than me and that is higher than the elders of this church, like that's the scriptures. Okay? So it's at the basis of everything we do and everything we believe. And, and so if we believe something different, then we have to bring ourselves in line with the scriptures. If we believe something as a result of the scriptures, we have to say, this is what we think, even though God doesn't say this specifically, here's how we're applying these scriptures, and that's what we'll do through this series. We'll do our best to lead us on a journey of setting a foundation that faithfully follows what the scriptures say for this simple reason. Okay? We believe that the Bible is truth, okay? that it's truth. It's the most remarkable book that has ever been compiled. 
Okay? And it's not so much a book as it is a, a library of 66 books. Some of you will know this, not all of you will. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, written over a period of about 1,500 years by 40 different authors, written in three different languages, written on three different continents, and yet the Bible is so remarkably consistent and relevant from beginning to end. Now, now how could that be possible? I mean, you think about a library of law books or medicine books that were written over a period of 1,500 years by different authors. How much consistency would there be? How much relevancy would there be to some of the things that were written long ago? And yet, here we find the Scriptures, consistent, relevant over all of those different factors, and we believe and are convinced it's because the one who's behind all of this book, there's one divine source, God himself. Okay? Now, periodically in the world today, you will hear about some other book supposedly um, being discovered that might discredit the Bible. Maybe it's the Gospel of Judas or the Gospel of Philip or the Gospel of Thomas. Maybe it's some sort of secret code that somehow unlocks the meaning of it all like the Da Vinci Code. Okay, well understand this. These are not new discoveries. Usually when it's a new discovery, it's because someone is producing a TV show that they want to make some money off of, and so it gets lots of new publicity, even though it's not a new discovery. What we know is that none of those books were written in the first century. All of them were written in the second or third century by Gnostics who were actually addressed in the scriptures as false teachers, okay? but um, hundreds of years after Christ, these books are written. Okay? We know that they were not, it's been proven, they weren't written by Philip, they weren't written by Judas, they weren't written by Thomas. Okay? If you want to study deeper on this particular issue, I would cons have you consider reading the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. You, any of you saw maybe that book or that movie that came out about his life a couple years ago that details that he was a, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune and, and he was an atheist and his wife became a Christian. And in order to sway her from this cult that she had joined called Christianity, <laughs> he began to study the Bible to disprove it, figuring if he could discredit it, he could sway her away. And instead, we found that he became a Christian convinced of its truth, has written a number of books that have helped Christians grow closer to Jesus instead of his original objective to enlighten us all <laughs> about what a farce that it was. Now, um, to be sure, let's understand together this morning, right? The Bible claims to be the Word of God. It claims to be truth, and as a result, if it is true, we understand that if it is from God, that it also has authority, okay? authority in our lives personally, certainly authority in the life of this church. Several times in the Old Testament, the authors of those different books use words like, this is what the Lord says, okay? or God said. Jesus and the apostles, the writers of the New Testament, they, they always considered the Old Testament to be a message from God and held it as truth 
and held it as a book of authority, the New Testament authors also claimed that their message was from God. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, maybe a verse that's familiar to you, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay? Then he wrote in the book of Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, these words. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the unanimous testimony from within the Bible is that its author is God. It's written down by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, people who witnessed the events that they wrote about and they described. Many were persecuted. A number of them were killed or martyred for their faith or what they believed or what they wrote. Okay, would you die for something that you knew to be untrue? I mean, their lives testify to their own belief about this being the Word of God, and yet all of this assumes that you believe that the Bible is truth. And while many of you I know do, I'm just not, um, I'm not comfortable with that assumption, all right? And that assumption isn't going to go far with our neighbors who might question this. So let me give you three reasons why we believe that the Bible is truth, okay? First is this, it's historically accurate, historically accurate. Archaeological discoveries continue to verify the accuracy of both the historical and cultural references in the Bible. Okay? The more they dig, the more it confirms the truth of the Bible. And there are a number of non-biblical, outside of the Bible, sources that confirm that the events described in the Bible are actually true. Okay? Not a Christian historian, but a Jewish historian who lived in a time where Jews and Christians were in high competition with each other doctrinally because the Christians were saying Jesus is a fulfillment of everything you Jewish people have believed and have been writing about for all of these hundreds of years. His name was Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. And if you read through him, you realize that um, he provides a lot of um, just indispensable material that confirms what's in the scriptures with commentary on people and places and events that are going on in the New Testament itself. Some of them even just give a commentary on it. Now, maybe you're familiar with people like Josh McDowell or C.S. Lewis or Lee Strobel that we talked about earlier or perhaps Chuck Colson. Okay. All of these men were either atheists or agnostics at one point in their life. Okay. They're either neutral or they were aggressive against the church in the gospel. But each one of them, on their own, for reasons to discredit it, studied the Bible. Each one concluded that the stories were true. Each one of them became followers of Jesus. Each one of them became defenders of the scriptures. The great uh, William Ramsey was an archaeologist and a historian 
but he was skeptical about the historical validity of the Bible. And so he decided to investigate the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts was written by a physician or a doctor named Luke. Okay, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so Ramsey started excavating sites with his team in Asia Minor. And he discovered that Luke was accurate in naming 32 countries and 54 cities and nine different islands without a single error. He said the evidence of the historical, archaeological, and geographical validity of the book of Acts was so overwhelming that later he became a Christian himself. And he concluded that since Luke was so faultless in describing names and people and places, how could we doubt that the other events mentioned in the books were not equally true? Okay? So historically, it's accurate. And while that, um, that carries some weight, to me, um, though that's an outside validation, the internal validation, to me, has always been the strongest argument. Okay? And internally, we find number two reason to believe it's truth, because its prophecies are fulfilled. Okay? Its prophecies are fulfilled. Let me read from the book of Psalms, chapter 22, verses 14 and 18. Uh, for you. It says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay in the dust. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Does that sound like an event that might have taken place sometime after those words were written by the psalmist? As he's talking about what's going to happen on the cross. Okay. Do you know there are over 300 specific prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament? Sixty of them are considered major in that they deal with either the, the birth or the life or the death or the resurrection of Jesus. R.C. Sproul stated that the very dimension of the sheer fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament scriptures should be enough to convince anyone that we are dealing with a supernatural piece of literature that God planted himself within the scriptures with such internal consistency that it bears witness that this is his word. Listen, if God wrote the book, <laughs> its prophecies must be accurate. Okay? If God is true and God is all-knowing and God knows the no beginning and no end, if he knew what was and what is and what is to come, then if God authored, authored those prophecies, then they ought to be true. Okay? Now, out of those 300 different prophecies that I mentioned, and the 60 that are the major, what do you think that the likelihood would be of one person in the future fulfilling those prophecies just in their life? So a mathematician who is much more skilled at this than I <laughs> has calculated that for one person to fulfill just eight of those 60 major prophecies that chance would be one to the 10 to the 17th power okay which means absolutely nothing to me okay just how i think 
all right? So they had to give me a, an illustration. So here's an illustration. Let's say that for each one of those ones, you take a silver dollar, okay? That would be enough silver dollars, 10 to the 17th power, to cover the state of Texas, two feet deep, okay? And let's say that you take just one of those silver dollars and place a mark on it, okay? And then you take a person, a volunteer, and you blindfold them. You say, you can go anywhere you want in the state of Texas. We just want you, with your blindfold, to find that one silver dollar that has the mark on it. Okay? It said that would be the equivalent of one person fulfilling eight prophecies hundreds of years after they were written. Jesus didn't fulfill eight. In fact, they said if, if a person were to fulfill 48 of them, take 10 to the 157th power. But Jesus didn't fill, fulfill 48 of them. He filled all, fulfilled all 60 of the major prophecies, all 300 of the Old Testament prophecies concerning him. Fulfilled prophecy okay, says loud and clear that the Bible could only have been authored by God. Now for years, um, in a time before most of us lived, though not all of us, um, there was this accusation among Christians, right, that that these books of the Old Testament must have been written after the events took place, right? So we know you say the Psalms are however many years old and they're written by David and he lived back then, but what's to say that you Christians didn't like wait for Jesus to die on a cross and then pen these words of Psalm 22 that says, you know, they've pierced my, my hands and my feet, you know, and they uh, cast lots for my clothes and divided my garments and all of that... Um, created skepticism until the year 1947 when these leather scrolls in clay jars were found around the Dead Sea. And for nine years afterwards, sometimes whole books, the whole book of Isaiah was found to have uh, in those jars. And when dated, found that it was written hundreds of years before Christ ever walked this earth. Okay? because it's true. It debunked the skeptics' claims that the events happened before the accounts were written. Okay? So historically, we find the Bible is accurate, so we can trust it. Internally, we find the, that the, the prophecies are fulfilled, so we can trust them. Okay? Just a practical piece that I think um, that I don't want to bypass is this. Like it's, the wisdom of the Scriptures is unmatched. Okay? The wisdom of the scriptures is unmatched. Kathleen Norris tells a story about a, a South Dakota rancher, a young man and his wife, his bride, who upon, on their wedding day received um, a leather-bound Bible <clears throat> from his grandfather. And, and they took it and they wrote a thank you note and they promptly placed it on a shelf in the closet. Okay? But grandpa kept asking, have you looked at that Bible? And at one point, he didn't know whether he should be offended or irritated. He was like, I sent the thank you note, isn't that? That's what mom told me I'm supposed to do when I get a present, right? But grandpa was persistent enough that eventually he went to that closet and he found that Bible and he began leafing through. And as he did, like $20 bills started flying from the Bible, okay? 66 in all. Grandpa had put one $20 bill at the beginning of each of the books of the Bible. Now, I have never um, had that pleasure, 
<laughs> of $20 bills flying, you know, and I, used, I, I gave that illustration in first service, and nobody came up here and put $20 bills in my Bible. But, don't you think these pages are filled with some rich wisdom? You know, the words contained in here, like they have changed my life, right? A message from God, the power of God brought to word, brought to bear on our lives, um, brings transformation, right? You think about just some things we read in the Proverbs or the Gospels that really apply to everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike, just wisdom for living, things like pride goes before the fall. Things like honor your father and mother that it might go well with you. Things like don't wear yourself out to give, get rich. Words like give and it will be given to you. Words like forgive and you will be forgiven. Words like don't worry. Like, can anyone, by worrying, add a single hour to their life? And we go on and on with wisdom. And even if you are not a Christian, even if you are not of the Jewish faith, the smartest way to live your life would still by, be by living through the advice that we find in the Scriptures. Like, if there is a Creator God, wouldn't you expect that at some point, he would reach out with a way to say, here's how I created you, and here's how you should live. And that's what we find in the scriptures, that they're inspired by God. Now, professors today are going to tell us that it's fine for someone to believe that the Bible is true, okay? Because all truth is relative. So what's true to you is true to you, but it may not be true for me, okay? I will tell you that that doesn't fit with what we find in the scriptures, okay? The Bible doesn't give us that option. Jesus said, maybe you remember, in John 14, verse 6, he said, I am, with the emphasis added by me, I am the way and the truth and the life. Okay? You don't have to add emphasis to the end of that verse where he says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no relative in that verse. <laughs> it's just truth. The statement is so exclusive that you can't take it as true for some and not true for others. It's either true for everybody or it's true for nobody. Jesus either is the way, the truth, and the life, or he's lying, and therefore he can't be the way and the truth and the life. So as a result of the Bible being truth, I think we would understand there just as we kind of bring things to a point that it also calls for a response, okay? It's not, just, uh, it's not just a book to be read. Gypsy Smith told of a man who, who said to the preacher that they'd received no inspiration from the Bible even though they'd been through it many times, to which Gypsy Smith said, well, let it go through you once. And then you will tell a different story, okay? Maybe you have um, been through it <laughs> a number of times, but has it ever been through you? Next year when we develop um, and launch some additional discipleship classes, one of those classes is going to help people learn and discover ways to connect with God through His Word. 
It's great to read the Word or the Bible. Even better to understand the Bible. After all, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 8, verse 8, He said, let him who has ears to hear, well, let him hear. Okay? Translated, pay attention, people. <laughs> this is God's Word. Right? David, showed, David shows us that he understood the value that the Scriptures have for us when he wrote in Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So, hearing and understanding are good, but they alone we find are incomplete unless we respond to what we've read. Okay? There's a follow-through piece. In James chapter 1, we read these words. James says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Listen, you can be emotionally moved, but never transformed. You can be well informed, but never transformed by a message to really be blessed, okay? For the words to have impact, for your life to have an impact, we have to put what we hear into practice and what we read into action in our lives. That's James's whole point there. I recently heard of four scholars um, that were debating their favorite translation of the Bible. Okay? The first one talked about how he loved the King James Version because it had that eloquent Old English second one said they really liked the American Standard Version because it just gave them confidence that literally as they moved from, from word to word and passage to passage, they knew that they were getting an accurate translation of the Bible. third one said they really liked the Moffat, which is more of a paraphrase because, well, it just, um, you know, it just gave them uh, like a, a quaint, penetrating use of words that maybe turned on a phrase that captured their attention. The fourth one thought a little bit. He said, I personally prefer my mother's translation. <laughs> the other scholars <laughs> chuckled a bit, and then he responded. He said, yeah, she translated it. She translated every page of the Bible into life, and it is the most convincing translation that I have ever read. So we will walk out of this place having talked today about the Word of God. Hopefully you have read the Word of God. Wouldn't it be incredible if 300 billboards for Troy Christian Church had been transformed by the Word of God? Okay. So this is a Bible. <laughs> we believe that it is the inspired Word of God, powerful, effective, life-changing when it is read, understood, and obeyed. And so we start here because we're going to talk about some subjects in the Bible for the next six weeks. It's important that you understand that it's not what Chris thinks, it's, though it is what Chris thinks. <laughs> it's not what Drew has made up, though it is what Drew thinks. It's not what we as a church 
believe that makes it powerful, though it is what we as a church believe, but its power comes from the truth of the Word of God, authored by God, that we are responsible, once we understand it, with what we're going to do with it in our life. So I'm going to pray, and then um, I'm going to invite some of you who might have never uh, begun this relationship with Jesus. When we're singing afterwards, you come talk to me and back, and I would love to, to talk to you about the Bible or about the Jesus that's described in the Bible. Okay? For some of you, like you know what it says, that's the problem. <laughs> it's creating struggle or frustration in life, uh, either because you're trying to follow it and it's difficult, or other people are ignoring it completely and bringing pain to bear on your life, and, and, and you just need someone to pray with you about the things that you're really struggling with as you try to live this life that honors God. And we'll have some of our leaders back there that would love to pray with you about these things. All right, let's pray together first. Father God, you are uh, amazing in this book that you've put together for us and for our lives. That you would have the thought to communicate to us not only that you created us, not only your intimate knowledge of our lives like we've looked at from Psalm 139 in these past weeks, but Lord, a plan for how we could live in a way that we would experience transformation and that we might, through that life, have a part in others coming to know you. Lord, thank you that we know you. If we don't, may that be a decision of this day. Thank you that we can come to you with our struggles. It's a privilege to do. In the name of Jesus.